0: Going through, um, for the last three months or so, kind of just checking through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we come to chapter 9. We're going to do the first half of chapter 9 this week, and then Cassie's going to teach the second half of chapter 9 next week as Chuck and I are at men's camp, and um, I'm sure it's going to be really great. I told her, I love this section, but I told her that I saved her the best part of chapter (laughs) 9, so um, if... Tonight is not your favorite, that's okay, I'm just kidding. It's going to be really good. But um, tonight we're going to be talking about um, how Pastor Paul discusses authority, rights, and calling. Um, kind of just three separate things that kind of all feed together um, tonight in the first 18 verses. Um, and he really takes this this first half of the chapter to hit some pretty hot-button issues, um, like what pastors and ministry leaders should be compensated with... Um, Our respect for spiritual leaders, our rights as human beings, and as followers of Christ, and um, how God has made each one of us to do something special with our lives. And so, it should be pretty fun. I've asked um, Danae to read tonight, so she's going to read the first 18 verses in the the New Living. Yeah, so, thank you, Danae. Right now? Yeah.
1: (laughs) Am I not as free as anyone else? Am I not an apostle? Haven't I seen Jesus our Lord with my own eyes? Isn't it because of my work that you belong to the Lord? Even if others think I'm not an apostle, I certainly am to you. You yourself that I am the Lord's apostle. This is my answer to those who question my authority. Don't we have the right to live in your homes and share your meals? Don't we have the right to bring a believing wife for us, as the other apostles and the Lord's brothers do, as Peter does, or is it only Barnabas and I who have to work to support ourselves? What soldier has to pay his own expenses? What farmer plants a vineyard and doesn't have the right to eat some of its fruit? What shepherd cares for a flock of sheep and isn't allowed to drink some of the milk? Am I expressing merely a human opinion, or does the law say the same thing? For the law of Moses says, You must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. Was God thinking only about oxen when He said this? Wasn't He actually speaking to us? Yes, it is written for us, so that the one who plows and the one who fetches the grain might both expect a share of the harvest. Since we have planted spiritual seed among you, aren't we entitled to a harvest of physical food and drink? If you support others who preach to you, shouldn't we have an even greater right to be supported? But we have never used this right. We would rather put up with anything than be an obstacle to the good news about Christ. Don't you realize that those who work in the temple get their meals from the offerings brought to the temple, and those who serve at the altar get a share of the sac- sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord ordered that those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it. Yet I have never used any of these rights, and I am not writing this to suggest that I want to start now. In fact, I would rather die than lose my right to boast about preaching without charge. Yet, preaching the good news is something I can boast about. I am compelled by God to do it. How terrible for me if I didn't preach the good news. If I were doing this on my own initiative, I would deserve payment. But I have no choice, for God has given me this sacred trust. When, then, is my pay? It is the
0: opportunity to preach the good news without charging anyone. That's why I never demand my rights when I preach the good news. Thank you. All right, we're done now. I'm just kidding. So we're going to start off with authority. And Paul talks about, um, I love how he starts with kind of a series of deep questions. I think this is kind of, really when the more I read Paul, the more I realize he models himself after Jesus. Um. Jesus liked to ask really good questions and get people thinking, and then sometimes He would answer those questions, and sometimes He would answer different questions. Um, but I think what I love about these questions is it, it causes us um, to push further in our faith when we ask questions. It it causes us to, to take our maturity to a different level, to get more intimate with the Lord. It causes us to... Um, Take things from the surface, right? We can hear things on the surface while we're in church, as we read the Bible. And we can just kind of let it go in one ear and out the other. But when we begin to question it, it can bring us to a place of being uncomfortable. And it can cause us to grow. Um, And it can cause some spiritual pain in our lives. I like to talk about this as it's like open heart surgery that God does in us. And so sometimes He has to open us up and kind of clean some stuff out. And then sew us all back up together so that we can become who He wants us to be. Um, And this just reminded me, I was reading um, this article from Relevant Magazine um, this week, and it was talking about this process of discipleship that we go through. And it said, But for us uh, to become disciples of Christ, it means that we have to be willing to actually be uncomfortable in ways that make us most uneasy. And so sometimes we, we like to be uncomfortable in ways that we're comfortable with. So we write things on Facebook or Instagram or on Twitter, or things like that. Or, or we talk to our friends about things where we act like we're vulnerable, but in the reality, we're only vulnerable to the extent that we're willing to be. And so for us to really grow in Christ, we have to cause ourselves to ask questions that we're uncomfortable with, that we have no control over and just say, God, I want you to do in my life what only you can do, Right. Um, and so I love how Paul asks these questions in that way. And, and he just allows that, that questioning to, to produce this spiritual surgery that can only be done by the Lord. Um, we like to think, or at least I like to think, that I can kind of clean myself up sometimes and just, God, I got this. I think I can kind of move this over here and move this over there and do these things in my life and I'll become a better person or a better Christian or a better human, right? And the reality is that Jesus is the only one who can do that in us. Um, because in ourselves, we're not good at all. Um, So back to what Pastor Paul says. He says, I am not, am I not as free as anyone else? Am I uh, not an apostle? Haven't I seen Jesus the Lord with my own eyes? Isn't it because of my work that you belong to the Lord? And so he takes this first kind of questioning and open sentence um, just to talk about his personal identity. And I think he says it in, in the the place of greatest importance to the place of least importance. And so he starts off with the idea that the greatest moment in his life and in our lives is that moment when we met Jesus, right? So for him, it was the road to Damascus. You know, he gets knocked off of his donkey and, and God shows up and and reveals himself to him and says, Paul, why are you persecuting my people? And he's blinded. And then, you know, he has this moment where he meets Ananias later and and God restores his sight, and there's this moment when he meets the Lord, and for Paul, that's the greatest importance of identity for him. It doesn't come from anywhere else. The the deepest source of identity comes from his relationship with Jesus. There's no other greater life-shaping point or event in his life than, than that moment when he met the Lord, and so first and foremost, Paul is a child of the king and a man who is saved by the grace of the Lord. And you're reminded of this constantly as you read Paul because he says, you know, I'm the the greatest of sinners. I'm the chief sinner. I'm the one who messed it up the most. But even in the midst of that, as I was killing Christians and doing these things that were totally opposed to God, God chose me and and uses me despite that. And so that's just this beautiful picture of this redemption that comes first and foremost for Paul. And secondly, Paul kind of jumps into this idea of apostleship, which has never been something I've really been able to wrap my mind around. What does it mean to be an apostle? And I'm not going to go in super great detail on that tonight, but just for Paul, the second most important thing to him is is that he's an apostle um, of the Lord, this, this position within the body of Christ. And he says in verse two, he reflects on those within the community of faith in Corinth who are questioning his ability to preach and his ability to lead the body of Christ. They were they were openly questioning Paul, um, either to his face or behind his back. But it, it was clear that it wasn't coming from outside the church. It was people who were within the church who were saying, like, guys, I'm not sure about this Paul guy. Like, I'm not sure if I really like what he has to say. And um, they were questioning him. And, and he makes this claim, Paul does. He says, haven't I seen the Lord with my own eyes? And isn't it because of my work that you belong to the Lord? And this is significant because to be an apostle in the first century church, there would have had to have been two things that would have happened. One, you would have to see Jesus with your own two eyes. You would have had to have some miraculous encounter with Jesus for you to have been an apostle. You would have to physically have seen him. And for Paul, um, the road to Damascus was more than a a vision. It was him, he felt like he literally saw God. Um, And so that was the first thing they had to have. And the second one is an apostle would have had to have been commissioned for some sort of mission in the body of Christ. And so it was clear that Paul was sent out as a missionary, as a, as a preacher of the gospel. He went all over the known world and, um, and, and shared the gospel. And so he saw God, and he was commissioned by the Lord. And that would have been two of the main things that would have uh, been qualifications to be an apostle of the Lord, right? And so he's reminding them, like, guys, remember these, these qualifications that are supposed to be an apostle? Like, I meet both of those. Um, that's one area that he talks about. And, um, and the second one, if these two qualifications weren't enough, Paul reminds them, that, that the only reason they believe in Jesus is because he told them, right? The only reason the Corinthians knew about the Lord and had gone from this, this life of paganism, worshiping these, I mean, there were hundreds of temples without, within the city of Corinth that were worshiping different, you know, Things that they had made or built or Greek gods or Roman gods, all these different gods. And actually the Roman gods were just Greek gods. They just renamed them. The Romans weren't really imaginative about their gods. They just kind of took the Greek ones and made them their own. But the only reason they had any relationship with Jesus and had eternity with God in this, this restorative, redemptive relationship was because Paul had told them, right? And so he said, even if you didn't believe that I had seen Jesus and, and that you know, I'd been commissioned by God... The only reason you believe is because I came to you, right? So be reminded of what I've done in your life. Um, And so um, Paul just reminds them of his apostleship as second place. And thirdly, and what's already been kind of alluded to, Paul's identity comes from his mission, right? And so it's his mission for Paul is to share the gospel and to build up his bride, the church, right? And so um, I love how Eugene Peterson in verse two says, in um, the voice of Paul, haven't I been a, given a job to do? And so for Paul, this is what he is made to do. There's nothing else on the planet that he is designed and created to do besides share the gospel. And, um, and it's incredibly clear to him. I mean, I couldn't even imagine the clarity that I would have if I had seen Jesus for myself, right? Like had had this amazing moment with God where I, I'm just radically transformed by Jesus. And so for Paul, it was so clear because of that moment that he had. And so um, back to Paul's greater authority, he says, um, "Don't we have the right to live in your homes and share your meals? Don't we have the right to bring a believing wife with us, as other apostles and brothers do, and as Peter does?" And so Paul calls out the church. Um, he's really good at this. I love that Paul is such a blunt dude. Um, he he definitely doesn't hold anything back, and he's going to get even worse about it in a little bit. But um he calls them out for their for their lack of support of spiritual leaders, and he says, like like we've shared the gospel with you. And then what you're asking us to do is you're, you're saying that, that we don't, we shouldn't get food. We shouldn't get taken care of. Like we're working these jobs all day during the day. And instead you're, you're just kind of pushing us aside, you know, and not providing for our needs. Um, and so, um, he's saying that that, that a mission, um, having a mission of the Lord, being a missionary, doesn't mean that we should have to live in physical poverty, poverty and squalor, right? I mean, I, I've met a lot of pastors who feel like they're a better pastor sometimes if they're poor, like if they have nothing. And I don't think that's what God designs anybody who does the mission of the Lord. I don't. I think there's some people who, are, who live in those conditions and they, they do those things, but I don't think that's God's design. It doesn't make me any more holy if I'm poor. Um, But instead, Paul's saying like, guys, come on, you need to be taking care of of, um, the people who speak to you. And so, um, and I think for Paul, it really isn't about, um, it isn't about the items. It isn't about money. It isn't about lodging. It isn't about bringing my wife. Paul doesn't even have a wife at this point. Um, It's not about uh, food or any of those things. Really what it's about is Paul is consistently challenging selfishness pride and individualism that has plagued the city and the church in Corinth. He's really challenging them to think about the community instead of just about themselves. right? He's challenging their prideful ideas about rights. He's going to talk a lot about rights. Um, And so, honestly, Paul and all the leaders of this time um, have every right to food, clothing, uh, lodging, and families, and all the normal needs of this life. Um, They have the right as bringers of the good news. Um, But Paul is going to talk a little bit about how he rejects those rights as well. So, um, all right, so verses 7 through 12, um, Paul again uses metaphors and symbolism to make his points to the church community, much like Jesus used to do. I love that. Jesus likes to tell stories, and again, Paul kind of models himself after the Lord. And so he uses these ideas of a soldier, a farmer, and a shepherd, right? He talks about how all of those people, they go to work every day, right, they take care of the farm, you know, they till the land, they water the land, they plant the seed, right? And then at the end of the harvest, they get a portion of the proceeds, right? Makes sense. If you work, you receive pay, right? There's this kind of one-to-one ratio. I mean, I don't think any of us would probably go to work every day um, if we didn't get paid for every day that we went to work, right? Like, we don't just do it out of the kindness of our hearts. Like, we have to have a house to live in and clothes to wear and things like that. You know, you can be in as altruistic as you want to be. But I let's see how long you, you'd go to your job if you, they didn't give you a paycheck at the end of the week, right? But um, So this is a pretty normal idea. But instead, it was clear that, that Paul and Barnabas and their spiritual seed planting business were not receiving their rightful pay for what they were doing. Um, and this was a really interesting because um, the reality in this culture would be that... Um, in Corinth, to be a blue collar worker and to work with your hands, which is what Paul and Barnabas were doing right they were they call themselves tent makers, so i 'm not sure if they were actually making tents or if they were doing some sort of other physical labor that would have been seen as looked down upon um, People in Corinth did not look at people who worked with their hands as being any sort of having any sort of honor or Um, place in authority or or anything like that. So it just seems like an interesting mix because they they love Paul so much and they, they see him as a spiritual father and this pastor figure in this high place of honor, yet they make him do this lowly sort of work to provide for his needs, right? So it's this kind of interesting thing that happens here. And Paul is saying like, Like what's going on with this? Like it seems strange, right? So there would have been a really good culture in that time where not just pastors, but also like philosophers or or men of wisdom would have come in and they would have spoken in big settings and they would have gotten some sort of pay, right? This would have been very normal in their society to have people like Paul who would come and they would take care of them. But instead, they were asking him to do what we would call bivocational ministry, like. Paul, we want you to go work all day, but then we definitely expect you to come to the church every night and preach the gospel to us and teach us how to follow the Lord, right? And so um, it just would have been a strange a strange thing um, to be blue collar um, for Paul. And so how could they let someone they esteem so much and love so deeply work with their hands during the day and preach the gospel in the evenings? This would have been incredibly disrespectful to have done this to Paul, um, considering the culture that they were in. Um, and this is not a message about payment of pastors or a call. I would say a call for Cassie and I to drive a Bentley or anything like that. Um, instead, this is about something so much deeper than pay. It's about this idea of rights and laying down our rights. And so Paul's going to talk about that in verses 11 through 13. He says, since we have planted spiritual seed among you, aren't we entitled to a harvest of physical food and drink? If you supported others who preached to you, which they were for whatever reason, they just weren't helping Paul and Barnabas, um, Uh, Shouldn't we have even greater right to be supported? But we have never used this right. We would rather put up with anything than be an obstacle to the good news about Christ. And so Paul says, yeah, yeah, I have every right to to receive payment for the work that I've done. But he says, instead, I lay down my rights for the cause of Christ. Um, He says that he would never want to detract. Another, this one says hinder, or another translation says be an obstacle to the gospel. So for Paul... He's entitled to something. He has these rights, right? And these are things that are normal in our society, entitlements, rights, things that we deserve, right? We hear these things all the time. It's a political cycle. We're having a presidential election. These are things that come up over and over again. But Paul is saying, no, I'm I'm laying down these rights. These mean nothing to me because I don't want to be a hindrance to the gospel. The gospel is way more important than whatever I might get paid. And I think it, it really speaks to what the apostle John says in 1 John 3, uh, 16. He says, we know that real love, uh, what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. And so that's really what Paul is doing. He's this sacrificial act of love and kindness to the community in Corinth. Is truly carrying the message of gospel without requiring anything in return. And that's what really loving one another is. That's really what, what doing the Christian ministry is, is. It's doing something in love of someone else without expecting them to give anything back to you. Right That's not love, that's just payment, that's just going to work if we expect something in return. right And so for us today, in the midst of a world filled with conversations about rights and entitlements and what we can expect, where Paul's message of laying down our rights for the cause of Christ is completely foreign to us, right and I, I get caught up in this as well and Cassie challenges me on it is where I start talking about politics or things like, well, everybody has the right to this and everybody has the right to that and everybody has this and we should do this for people. And Cassie just reminds me gently sometimes and not so gently others. In Christ, we have no rights, right? We laid down our rights for the cause of Christ, right? And so we don't have any of these things in Christ. Um, And this is a message that requires a deep commitment to the calling of God and a painful death of our pride and fleshly humanity, right? Because it's so easy for us when we start doing things that are nice for people. It's easy at first, right? It's easy at first to be sacrificial. And then then we're sacrificial a little longer, and then we start to get a little annoyed. Like, don't they notice that I'm being really sacrificial towards them? Like, don't they notice that I'm doing this, this, and this for them? And shouldn't they be, like, thanking me for that? You know, we start to, like, kind of subconsciously start kind of judging people for not you know, appreciating us, right? And that's what Paul's saying, like, you guys don't appreciate me at all, but at the end of the day, honestly, my job is to share the gospel, and it doesn't matter to me if I get nothing in return, right? And so, are we willing to lay down our rights for the cause of Christ? And so then he talks about calling, and we're going to finish with this section, and then we'll have some time of discussion, but Paul puts a comma on this discussion with the church community as he discusses the powerful, life-giving, Holy Spirit-driven calling that the Lord has placed on him and he has placed in each one of us. He, in his own straightforward, and I love extremely pious sort of style about his calling, he says, um, he's always extreme. I love that about Paul. Like, I will, he always says, he says, never and always. I will give it up forever. He's just like, he is so extreme, you know, like last week we talked about food, right, and, or two weeks ago, and he says, if I will never eat meat again, if that will cause someone not to stumble, right? And so he says this a lot. Um, he says, "Yet yeah, I have never used any of these rights, and I am not writing this to suggest that I want to start now. In fact, I would rather die than lose my right. I love that. I would rather die, like, Paul, you can't take it any more extreme than I would die for this thing, right? Um, then lose my right to boast about preaching without charge. Yet preaching the good news is not something that I can boast about. I am compelled by God to do it. And actually the NIV says I am compelled to preach. Um, And so preaching or sharing the gospel for Paul is not something he has chosen to do, right? It's not something he sat down with a career counselor and figured out how much money he's going to make over the course of his life and, you know, what the pension is and the retirement benefits and, you know, what, what's the most stable position in his community? It wasn't like this thoughtful idea for Paul. It was this radical transformation as he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he was called to be an apostle of the Lord regardless of the cost, right? It was something that, that he had to do. He, he can't do anything else. I, I think for Paul, if, if he wasn't preaching the gospel, if he wasn't sharing the good news, I think he would be miserable, Because that's what God had made him to do. And I think if we try to do anything that God hasn't made us to do, we're gonna be miserable in that endeavor because it wasn't what we were created to do. It wasn't, it's like fitting a a square peg in a round hole, right? You can keep trying to jam it in there, but it's never gonna fit, right? And I think that's how it is for our lives. Whatever it is that God has called us to do, I think that we're gonna be miserable in our lives until we do what God has called us to do because that's what we were made to be, right? And so um, Paul knew without a shadow of doubt he was made to be an apostle of the Lord. And so again, for Paul being, uh, he always takes things a step further and he does here. Um, I, I, um, think about it as I'm the kind of guy I see the line when I joke and i like, I know it's there. And then I just, it's just too hard for me not to like leap over it and just say a joke, like right on the other side of the line. That's how Paul is with like challenging people. He like knows where the like comfortable line of culture is. Like, I know I shouldn't say this, but anyways, I'm going to take it a step further here. And he says, um, if I were doing this of my own initiative, I would deserve payment, but I have no choice for God has given me this sacred trust. What then is my pay? Is it the opportunity to preach the good news without charging anyone? That's why I never demand my rights when I preach the good news. And so for Paul and for us, um, what doing what God has called us to do is the true payment and joy and fulfillment that we get in this life. No amount of money or cars or houses or um, even pats on the back or awards can possibly um, um, shadow over the fact that the greatest fulfillment that we have is from doing the will of God in our lives, whatever that might be. And not each one of us is called to be an apostle or missionary or pastor. That doesn't mean um, that your, your calling is any less. But whatever it is that God has made you to do and made you to be, if we don't do that, it, we're never going to find fulfillment in this life. And I, I think about the people in my life that have met Jesus and have walked away. And I, I see how miserable they are, you know, in this rat race of just, I go to work and I make more money and then I do overtime so I can make more money. And then I buy this car and I think it's going to satisfy me. And then it doesn't satisfy me. And then I need a different car because I think that car is going to satisfy me. And if I only had this, this, and this, and you you just see their. It's like they're in a, a, a mouse wheel, right? They're just spinning around and around and around. And they're wondering why they're not happy. They're wondering why they don't have joy. They're wondering why all these pieces to the puzzle in their lives aren't coming together. And it's because they really haven't submitted themselves to doing what God has called them to do. And if they were only to do that, it wouldn't make life perfect or easy in any way, shape, or form. But it would give them this deep joy that we know that we find in the Lord. And so, um, and for Paul, um, this reality uh, became very real, right? Christian tradition would say that about 10 years after Paul wrote the book of First Corinthians, he was beheaded for his faith um, by the Romans. And so for Paul, this wasn't just something that he said. It wasn't some nice letter he wrote from afar or some article he wrote and posted on Facebook and said, this is what you should do with your life. And this is how you should live it. Paul paid it. He did it. He lived it. And I love what Paul says in 2 Timothy 4 as he's kind of at the end of his life and he's writing to his, his protege Timothy and he says, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appealing, appearing. And so I just love that because I tell Cassie all the time that I want to be the type of person when I get to the end of my life, when I get to be 90 or I don't know, however old I get to be, I want my body to be so spent and my mind to be so spent that I got nothing left, right? I don't want to be that person who's sitting on my deathbed like wishing, oh, I wish I would have done this or I wish I would have been brave enough to do this or sacrificial enough to do this or whatever it might be, faithful enough to do this for God. I want to be spent I want that to be my day at the end of my day when I get to go to bed. I want, I want to be so exhausted that I can't possibly even like lift my head up, you know, because I've used all of my energy that day uh, for doing the things that God has called me to do. And that's what Paul is really about is he saying, you know what, I'm at the end of my life and I know I've remained faithful. And at the end of the day, I don't think I have any doubts about what God has called me to do and how I've carried it out. And so are we willing to lay down our human rights to pursue the true calling that the Lord has on our lives? And so, kind of going back, our authority comes from the realization that our identity is in Christ. And our identity comes from our belonging to Christ and our God-given mission in this world. Um, Our rights must be laid down in the name of the Father's love for others. We must sacrifice our pride and selfishness for the community. um, and And selflessly as we serve those around us. We must be willing to lay down our earthly lives for the cause of Christ. And our calling drives us, or compels us to follow the crazy path that the Lord has for each of us. We are not apostles like Paul, but in whatever it is that God has asked us to do, we must pursue with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so for Paul, um, I think this is really what he's about. At the end of the day, and I love this, as he's writing to Timothy, and I think he's not just writing this to Timothy to make himself feel better, I think he's writing to Timothy saying, Timothy, live your life this way, right? Right? He, we already read, you know, follow me as I followed Christ, and he's telling Timothy, he's saying, Timothy, just spend it all, live it all. You know what? There, we don't, we can't promise any day, and he couldn't, right? He probably didn't know the day he was going to be be beheaded, right? And the other eleven apostles that that died for the cause of Christ, right? Only one of them probably lived to the point where they, you know, lived to old age, right? They all died of various things. They didn't know how many days they had left, but they wanted to spend every day like it was their last. Set aside the rights that they had in the Lord their rights, you know, that we should be paid or whatever it might be, just because the gospel is more important than whatever we get from some other human being. So um, got a couple of discussion questions. And um, obviously, we know that it takes a little bit of time to kind of process these through. But what rights can keep us from loving others and serving God's will for our lives? Why can these obstacles be so hard to overcome?